Well, I think what it all really comes down to it is it comes down to passion. And since I did my first triathlon when I was, I think, 12 years old, like I have always lived and just eat, sleep and breathe triathlon. I mean, I started when I was 15 years old, I started my own kids triathlon team just because I wanted to be on a kids triathlon team and there wasn't one in Oklahoma City. And I was like, well, heck, if there's not one here, then I'll freaking make one. I mean, my mom was driving me to my own practice that I was like training kids to train. I mean, like, I wasn't even an adult and like all these parents are like giving me envelopes with money and checks and all that. I had to like open up a bank account just so I could like get the money. And it's like, I was doing that just so I could feed my obsession with triathlon. And that's how much I like loved it. So I think that like I eventually got out of triathlon and tried to take the more like software development and I just wasn't happy. And I think that that's what it all comes down to is once I got back involved in triathlon and I started shooting and I started making videos and all that, I had so much passion for it. Like I didn't even need food. I didn't need caffeine. I don't even need like race morning. I can go like all day. People are like, what have you eaten today? And I'm like, oh, uh, I actually haven't eaten this morning. And it's like, this is right after a finish of an Ironman. It's like three o'clock. And I just, I forget because I just run on that energy and that fuel. And so I think that it, it kind of goes back to whatever your career is, you should have passion in what you're doing. And that is what has drove me to where I'm at today, like with the success, because I love what I'm doing so much. Like I can lose sleep over it. I could like, not eat over it. I don't need to make a lot of money doing what I'm doing because I love it so much. That was Talbot Cox and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Jess, your host. We've got episode 139 for you today and I am so fired up to share this episode with you guys. Do I say that every week? If there's a week that goes by that I don't say it, just assume it's inferred because this podcast has really become a major source of ammunition to further our mission to create a better world. And I couldn't be more freaking pumped about that. This pod is 100% listener supported. So thank you all for sharing the show, leaving a review on iTunes and making your statement every month through your Patreon pledge. Thank you, Lori, who is the latest to show her support through Patreon. And if you listened to last week's episode, Lori sent us a question about her beliefs as an athlete and how to change the ones that don't serve her. Just for the record, you guys, she took our answer, put that information into execution, and got herself a podium spot in her age group this weekend at her first race of 2019. And that is what our mission is all about. People are waking up to their potential. They are being inspired by our guests and putting that inspiration into action because we dive into the how. As a whole, we are becoming more connected because every week the YTP shares stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. A more connected community operating to their potential through inspired action is the makings of a better world. I am so grateful to you all. I am so grateful to this podcast that literally thrust itself upon BJ and I and forced us to put our unworthiness aside and step into purpose. And I am so grateful to the guests of the YTP who open up about their peaks, valleys, passion, and purpose. Talbot Cox lays it all out for us today in our chat because this guy is not about hoarding his success. He is fully living his passion to grow the sport of triathlon and bring as many people as possible alongside him to great heights in the future. The guy behind the camera, the one and only who has humanized icons of sport like Lionel Sanders, Gwen Jorgensen, Marinda Carfrey, and Timothy O'Donnell, just to name a few. And it's all because he traded in his paycheck 
for his passion. Talbot is the perfect example of how everything in our life serves a purpose. I believe that Talbot Cox Media was born many years ago when young Talbot zipped up his little yellow jersey and rode his bike as fast as he could, envisioning himself as Lance Armstrong taking another stage at the Tour de France. He fanatically followed Lance and his photographer, Elizabeth Krutz, and he couldn't get enough of the coverage. This is the exact feeling that tens of thousands of people are regularly left with after watching one of Talbot's superstar videos. It's passion that fuels him, and it's passion that got him through the tough times when he was loading up on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches from 7-Eleven en route to meetings because he wasn't sure if he was going to have to pay for his potential clients' meals. And it's the passion that overrides sleep and food for him now because when it all comes down to it, Talbot loves what he does. But this was not always the case. He said no to the family business. He walked away from a Cush software development job all in the name of happiness. And I'm happy to say that he's found it. And he's sharing it with anyone who is willing to adapt to the changes that he is causing in the world of sports media. It's a great convo and it all fell together in such a divine way. We had been chatting a bit with Talbot via social media and then we all just showed up at this Lionel Sanders event here in Carlsbad at Canyon Bikes. We introduced ourselves to Talbot, met his amazing and totally legit triathlete girlfriend, Rachel, and soon set plans for morning coffee and this podcast at our studio the next morning. All right, speaking of Canyon, you guys, one more thing before we launch into our convo. Beej and I will be recording our first live podcast this Wednesday, January 9th at Canyon Bikes North American headquarters here in Carlsbad. We'll be interviewing pro triathletes Carrie Lester and Scotty D. Philippus. We'll have some high-vibe pies from our latest pizza cookbook on hand. Jules Food will be spoiling our guests with a platter of their epic cashew brie cheese. And Canyon will also be providing food and drink for all of our guests. The event starts at 5 p.m., podcast at 6 p.m. Bring your friends and bring your questions. Get a chance to get live feedback from some of the best in the sport. All right, you guys, let's jump in. We are so psyched to have you along for this ride with someone who is all about disrupting the norm, creating abundance, and above all else, living a passion-fueled career and life, Talbot Cox. All right, well, let's just jump in with that. You're going into your off-season, Talbot. I've got your... I've got your schedule up here, and I know it doesn't even represent well, where you've been. I don't think I have. No, because those. you haven't had time to even update this on your yeah. website. But we've got Dubai 70.3, Team uh, Everyman Jack Camp, Team Timex Camp, Tim and Rini YouTube launch you did, mm-hmm. Oceanside 70.3, Texas 70.3, Texas Ironman, Monterey 70.3, <laughs> Challenge Championship, Ironman Carnes. Mount Tremblant, 70.3 World Championships, Ironman, 70.3, Augusta, Kona, Arizona, Taiwan, but we know you've been in Argentina, we know you've been at Indian Wells, (laughs) now you're here at our house, uh, capping off the season and going into your off season. So we were asking you, you know, where are you based? Where do you live? So what's, what's, where do you live, man? Oh, besides. I started off the year living in Boulder, or Oklahoma City, and then moved back to Boulder to kind of uh, launch my kind of career. Uh, and I, I still was trying to find the medium of like launching my own YouTube channel versus launching one with Gwen Jorgensen, because that's the one I did at the beginning of the year. And it was all kind of just like figuring out your purpose and kind of like your plan. And still, I was like, I guess I would... Uh, 
call myself like a startup business. And so it was really trying to find what I was going to do in, in the sense of that matter. And so I started doing that and then ended up in Boulder, was there pretty much the whole year, but I only probably stayed 20 nights of the entire year there because <laughs> I was living out of my suitcase the rest of the time. And then uh, that's about it. So out of my suitcase and all my stuff's currently in storage in Boulder now because I moved out right before Kona because I was like, I'm going to be gone for literally three months. So there's no sense of me paying three months of a utility and bills and apartment that I'm not even living in. So put it all to a storage unit and then I'll probably go back to Oklahoma for the holidays. So basically you've just been living like a woman about to give birth. Like you just have your little suitcase ready to go. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. That is, that is exactly the point. Just living out of that suitcase, trying to... Uh, wash my clothes before I head to the next trip and uh, all set and ready to go. Oh my God, I know how that is. It's just like wash them in the hotel sink, hang them out in the sun. Yeah. Hopefully they're going to dry. Sometimes they're a little wet, but you know they're going to dry eventually. That's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> That's so right. Awesome. There. Yeah, I think I think I ended up the year I posted a little, um, a little post on my Instagram and it, I shot a total of 11 half Ironmans and six full Ironmans this year. So it was a... Uh, quite quite the year plus you're doing Gwen show plus you're doing Tim and Rennie and Lionel those are your three main people this year that you've really been following and thank you very much on behalf of everyone because the coverage and the insight that you're giving us into their lives and into their training and the trials and tribulations is just it's amazing nobody's ever done this before yeah it's it's been very interesting I grew up as a little kid just idolizing Lance Armstrong and any coverage I could find on Lance I was like I wanted to watch any behind the scenes footage or whatever it was I mean I was the kid that would sit there and watch him on the tour de France cross the finish line and then I'd go get on my bicycle with my uh, discovery jersey and my yellow helmet and I would just pedal down the street back and forth as fast as I could and I would actually stick my arms in the air acting like that I had like won the tour de France because <laughs> I was great. just like so obsessed like with his life and then specialized actually started releasing like these day in the life videos and i absolutely loved what they did there was like day in the life of jan ferdino gomez and, Tim too, Don right? yeah. and gomez yeah. and, and all that and i just absolutely loved what they did so i started kind of my own like youtube vlog and i just wasn't like hitting the numbers that i wanted to hit and what was year was like, this mm, this was in 2017 the beginning of the year so I, you started your own youtube channel yeah, 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 yeah. I started my own, my own YouTube channel and I was doing the daily hustle. I was doing a video a day and I did like the first month and a half and I was just like, as a standard entrepreneur, I was like, this isn't working. What can I do to change this? So I spent the next year kind of just like shooting races and, and was really getting involved in Boulder, but I was also chasing the career as a software developer, trying to figure out like my passion in that and trying to find like a job. And then... Um, so I, I was really chasing that and I actually ended up getting a job and I worked as a software developer and I was trying to make money that way, going to races and shooting and all that. And then by the end of that year, I think I was came up with this idea to basically do a day in the life of videos of, of professional triathletes around Boulder because I was like, this is so cool. Let's put this together. Let's do it. So I contacted Jeannie Seymour, who I knew, and I was like, Hey, here's my idea. I had, I really thought that she was going to win the 70.3 worlds in Chattanooga that year. So I was like, let's do a day in life video and then we'll do one at 70.3 worlds as well. And that was kind of the year that I perfected that. So I did one with her and then also one with Tim O'Donnell. And then going into Kona, I had contacted, um, Lionel Sanders ahead of time. And I had no idea like what my even plan was. I was like, 
we're gonna do one with Lionel Sanders this year in Kona and that's how we'll kind of like launch things. And so I went to Kona, had no idea, nothing planned, was talking, chatting back and forth with Lionel. I was like, hey, what day is good for you? And he was like, this day. And I only had three videos to do with Lionel. That's what I was getting paid for like that entire trip. And then also Hot Shot, which was a uh, kind of a, a oh, stimulant, yeah. anti-cramping. They really believed in me, and so they're paying me to cover, kind of get photos for them and stuff. So I flew out to Kona and then uh, did the Day in the Life of with Lionel Sanders, and it just kind of exploded from there. Like overnight, that video got like 100,000 views, and I was like, let's keep it going. And so I, and actually prior to his, I did a test video with Luke McKenzie, because I was friends with Luke, and he wasn't racing that year. And I was like, you want to do a video out there? And he was like, sure. So I did one with Luke and then I did one with Lionel. And at that point, I mean, I had no idea who was next. I mean, I think I ended up posting on my Instagram, like, who wants to do a video next? Who should I do next? And I remember I got like a message from Daniela Reef, uh, from Patrick Lang. And we were just like, we just started like knocking out the videos like clockwork. So it kind of all came together right there. And I really, really enjoyed it. And the hustle and the grind. I mean, I was shooting all day long and then I would start editing at about 8 p.m. I would edit till about 2 a.m. and then get up at 6 a.m. and, and do it again. <laughs> so it was uh, it was a blast and then I ended up going to Island House that year and I that's where I had officially met Pat and Gwen and I looked at Pat and I was like dude you guys are terrible at running a social media account which it's not like it's really their job I mean Pat's job is like a caretaker of Gwen to basically help her be the best athlete in the world. And um, so he was like, I was like, let's launch a YouTube channel. We'll do daily vlogs. We'll do like all these things for it. And he was like, let me think about it. And at the time she hadn't like announced that she was going into running yet. So I wasn't aware. And then he rang me up like a month later and was like, well, Gwen's actually quitting triathlon. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Pump the brakes real quick. <laughs> so, um, and, and then, so we ended up launching her YouTube channel first thing in January. We did like a little test run, but she wasn't for sure. He was, she was like, let's have Talbot come out. We'll record some episodes, but not publish them and see what they look like. And then um, things just started pumping from there. We launched Gwen's channel. It really exploded really fast. Uh, did the same thing with Tim and Rennie. And then in about July this year, um, Lionel was kind of just shooting his story. Um, ultimately, he would just wanted to basically capture everything. If he was to ever like produce something one day, or, or and of course he has just such an incredible story. So he was like, he felt like we were missing some key moments of of his training and all that. And so he was like, come out here and uh, to Windsor, and let's just start recording. And he was like, I don't know what even what we'll do with the footage. And I was like, hey. I'll be there tomorrow. So we booked a ticket that night and I flew out the next morning to Windsor and uh, we just started pumping out the YouTube videos. And then, so that was kind of my third and final client. So through the capacity, I think that producing for, so for the next like probably eight weeks, I produced three videos a week and uh, my, my own kind of YouTube channel of producing my own stuff with individual athletes is kind of out the roof because I was so busy doing kind of that. So that's how it all kind of came together. Well, I think what, what you've done is, you know, we look at these athletes as athletes, you know, and, and I know that we, um, 
We fantasize of this life, like, especially when people are working nine to fives and they've got little kids and, you know, and their spouse is working nine to five. Like we fantasize about, oh, wouldn't it be great to be a professional triathlete? All we have to do is sleep, eat and train. Wouldn't that be great? But the fact is, is that these guys are athletes, but they're also business people and they in and of themselves are brands. And I don't know if a lot of them really know how, like you were saying, Gwen, um, like being so poor on social media, like they really know how to promote that brand. Uh, when they're focusing so much time on training. So you've really bridged this gap through this medium to take the athlete and not only connect them with their audience, but really connect their sponsors in giving them more opportunity to, you know, get new contracts and stuff because your numbers have gone so big. You've exploded, you've exploded, but you've also exploded these athletes in a way that nobody's doing it. And um, so you are totally, as we were just talking at uh, Steady State, Steady States, we're all capped up right now, <laughs> that you're really disrupting the norm. You're really disrupting this recipe for athletes and going out and selling themselves to sponsors and things like that. You've really bridged the gap where all these videos are like marketing material for these athletes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the medium and... In the sense that that's I always tell people like this is like one of the hardest professional sports. Not only because let's say let's take example like the NBA. You have someone like Kevin Durant. He doesn't even need to have his own self brand. He just has like himself. So he's getting a, a paycheck of what three hundred thousand a week or whatever it is from all the freaking sponsors he has and all that. So money is like irrelevant to him. But for these athletes, they not only have to train, they have to run. They have to promote themselves. They have to sign all their own contracts. And it's not like they're making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's a financial burden on them to take a risk and invest in someone like me to come and do this. Um, I really kind of just have always had a passion like for art and videography and, and, and making videos. Um, and so I always tried to like master Instagram. And I was always kind of like trying to figure out the algorithms, how it all went and all that. And that's when I started... During that year in 2017, I'd started really investing. And so I took my Instagram account, I think in 2017, from like 900 followers. So I think I finished the year with like 9,000. And I was like, whoa, that's a lot. And I, and I was basically just doing it off of like hashtags and locations. And I felt like that if you gave someone like me permission to run a professional athlete's social media account, I could really help boost interest and, and boost everything involved in all that. And so I was sitting there thinking like, how can I financially afford this too? Um, because that's, that's like a, a burden on not only myself, but also athletes as well. And it's kind of funny cause like a, a lot of other photographers, they think that like, I'm just like a little trust fund kid. And I just, and they've actually said that too, um, to me. And so I'm just like, Oh yeah, I wish I had a mom and dad's checkbook. But after I was 20 years old and I left the house, I, di I didn't get a penny after that. So it's kind of like, creating your own brand in, and like hustling as well and making sure like you got to connect the dots and all that like I wish I could go around and give away photos for free but it's like you're not giving away photos for free it's like you're doing it in a micro way to make money on the back end so that's where it started with the professional athletes it's like it was finding this algorithm or or kind of business strategy of how can I promote Gwen have her pay me, also give back to her sponsors, and then also set it up to where in the long run, I can build relationships with all of her sponsors that when they need digital assets, I can make a lot of money from them as well. So it's a win, win, win. 
it's like I'm I'm not just trying to here to collect money and be like, oh, awesome. At the end of the day, I'm walking home with a lot of money. It's more so the fact that how can we win for the athlete, win for me, and win for the sponsor. And so I've found like a happy medium of producing a video, hyping the athlete, and providing digital assets for the sponsors for social media use. And so that was finding the medium, which took about probably six months. And then I think I found that and it's continuing to grow and evolve and all that. But that's where I think trying to disrupt the the traditional photographer's um, standpoint, which a lot of them are very vocal about that and probably don't like me for what I'm doing. But thing about it is, is those athletes continue to grow and they continue to evolve. And they're, I would say they're the most like looked upon athletes in in the sport. And another athlete that's done an incredible job is that is like Jan Ferdino has done an incredible job. He has his manager, Felix, who is also an incredible photographer and they do like a very similar thing. He basically manages him. He goes to all of his events and his races and he shoots photos and they provide those photos to all of their sponsors for social media use. And then it, within return, it promotes Jan Fredino, another athlete, it's like Lindsay Corbin. Her husband does an incredible job, Chris Corbin, at capturing and making videos and providing them to our sponsors. And then if they ever need that for like digital use or, or selling the photos, then they can make, he can make money on the back end of that. So it's, it's finding that happy medium to where everyone wins. And that's what I've eventually have come to. So first of all, what you, the way you went into that is you went into it with this abundance mindset where everybody can win. It's not just about Talbot making money. How can I make money? I quit my job. I left my secure paycheck. How can I make money doing this? So you took a risk, but you're asking the athletes now to take a risk too. But because your mindset is let's all win, right? And I was saying this to you, like the universe has your back, man. I mean, just in the time that we have talked this morning and, you know, in these few minutes on the podcast, it's your kind of this 10,000 foot view of the big the big um, kind of picture of everything is really what's allowing you to win because you're not just in this selfish desire of taking care of you and taking care of Rachel and, you know, that you're in it, man. You're in it. You're willing to do the hustle. You are willing to take the risk and you're living it, asking your athletes to kind of do it uh, to a degree as well to, to trust, but you kind of tested it on yourself first. And when I think about like a coach, like BJ does this, like he'll test things out on himself. He'll do crazy stuff. He does like Lionel Sanders kind of crazy stuff where he'll be like, all right, for six weeks, I'm just going to like do this. Or like he did this one stint where he was like racing. I'm not going to drink on the bike. I'm not going to drink on the bike because I keep cramping on the run. Well, guess what happened, right? So obviously he's not going to give that to his athletes, but you tested it on yourself. You saw that you could build your Instagram account. So you already kind of had this street cred. You had a little bit of street cred. And um, so that abundance mindset is huge, dude. Like, keep that. And I don't think you could ever lose it because it's already delivered so much to you. The momentum is is carrying so fast. Yeah, Yeah. you've got a lot of momentum. So did you look at, like, um, Lindsay Corbin? Did you look at these models as you were building yours? Like, what was your framework? Or being a creative guy, were you just kind of taking whatever the next step was that came to you? Well, I think what it all really comes down to it is it comes down to passion. And since I did my first triathlon when I was, I think, 12 years old, like I have always lived and just eat, sleep and breathe triathlon. I mean, I started 
when I was 15 years old, I started my own kids triathlon team just because I wanted to be on a kids triathlon team and there wasn't one in Oklahoma City. And I was like, well, heck, if there's not one here, then I'll freaking make one. I mean, my mom was driving me to my own practice that I was like training kids to train. I mean, like I wasn't even an adult and like all these parents are like giving me envelopes of money and checks and all that. I had to like open up a bank account just so I could like get the money. And it's like, I was doing that just so I could feed my obsession with triathlon. And that's how much I like loved it. So I think that like I eventually got out of triathlon and try to take the more like software development and I just wasn't happy. And I think that that's what it all comes down to is once I got back involved in triathlon and I started shooting and I started making videos and all that, I had so much passion for it. Like I didn't even need food. I didn't need caffeine. I don't even need like race morning. I can go like all day. People are like, what have you eaten today? And I'm like, Oh, uh, I actually haven't eaten this morning. And it's like, this is right after a finish of an Ironman. It's like three o'clock and I just, I forget because I just run on that energy and that fuel. And so I think that it, it kind of goes back to whatever your career is, you should have passion in what you're doing. And that is what has drove me to where I'm at today, like with the success, because I love what I'm doing so much. Like I can lose sleep over it. I could like not eat over it. I don't need to make a lot of money doing what I'm doing because I love it so much. And I think that I can now start two years later to see the fruits of my labor really all come together. And I think that like everything happens for a reason. But now I've been able to see like with growing Gwen's account, with growing Tim and Rennie's and Lionel's account, and not only their accounts, but like their brand names, that that was all passion I had to promote them. Because I just look at it back like I visually wanted to see everything I could on Lance Armstrong. So there was a photographer, Litz, Liz, I can't, Liz Cruz or something like yeah. that. And, and I was, I would always follow her personal stuff because she was Lance Armstrong's photographer. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's like incredible. Like I, I love what she does. Like I couldn't imagine being Lance Armstrong's photographer. Like I would follow him everywhere. So I kind of took what she was doing. She was providing images to all of his sponsors. And then I also looked at something like the Red Bull um, media pool. I'm not for sure if you guys are aware of that. Basically, if you're a Red Bull athlete, mm-hmm. um, they hire photographers to come shoot you. So if you go to like redbullcontentpool.com or you could Google search it, you can type in an athlete's name on there, like Gwen Jorgensen, who previously was sponsored by Red Bull. And then it would give you a massive gallery of images. And depending on what your source was, a majority of them could use it for free. So like USA Today could grab an image of Gwen Jorgensen and use it for free on the front cover of their magazine. Reason being is it's Gwen Jorgensen with a massive Red Bull logo somewhere. So it was like basically free marketing. Hey, use this photo for free because it's marketing our brand. So I kind of thought of that in my own sense. I'm like, well, it's $19 a month to have a Squarespace website. Let's grab (laughs) GwenJorgensenMedia.com. And then basically, so we started with Gwen and we are just uploading these massive amounts of images into here and all of our sponsors could use them for free. So we'd go to Gwen's races, we would shoot the Husky Invitational 5K, which no one, who even knows what that is other than track (laughs) athletes in that part of the country. And so we shoot that race, we upload all these images to the media pool, we put her time, we put everything, and all these news outlets were like, hey, you guys can use this for free. So like, and then that's the same day we launched her YouTube channel. So it was like, boom, she picked up like 10 or 20,000 subscribers. So I think within 48 hours and it's like, 
that's that's what creating hype is and what does what it does and so that's kind of our ultimate goal so i took a combination of passion uh and looking at other businesses in the way and then also creating my own um and then just doing it that way so that's how that all kind of like came about I think the social media, the social media was the spark, right? The social yeah. media. And, and we talk or we hear a lot how the social media, they need to detach from it. And a lot of people just delete it and remove themselves from it so they can't use it. But in this, in this scenario, it's the relationship to social media. And so when you can, when you can dive into social media and use it in the right way, mm-hmm. right? Don't let it consume you but use it in the right way. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did, especially with Instagram. I know Twitter and Facebook, and I don't know if there's anything else, but would you, Instagram's the... Yeah, the yeah, I would, I would definitely say, and, and the, we ended up, Gwen's YouTube grew really, really fast. And so we ended up going to the YouTube headquarters and um, a sweet lady there, uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but she really helped us out with explaining to us the difference between Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And the craziest thing is, is you, you'll walk into a doctor's office and you're and you're wasting time scrolling through Instagram, or you're sitting at the coffee shop and you're and you're just scrolling because you have nothing better to do. So you're just looking through and you're looking at other people's stuff. But something like YouTube is a platform that you're going there for advice. So you're not just scrolling past Jan Ferdino's picture, past Lionel Sanders' picture, and just glance at it and you're like, oh, this is what he's doing. Cool. Keep scrolling. I might like this. Cool. When you go to a platform like YouTube, you went there yourself. It's not like you scrolled past it. You went there yourself and you're looking for information because you you spent time to click on it versus scrolling past it and you're watching. So you have way more of a captive audience. And that's the same thing like with a podcast. You don't just scroll past a podcast and it just starts playing. People have come to your podcast to listen to it. And that's how, I mean, every business is. But that's the difference between Facebook and Instagram and YouTube is you have a way more direct audience. So that's where we found that making like cooking videos or nutrition videos on Gwen and Pat's channel or stretching videos or basically her main like workout videos update on on her life and kind of all that. And so people come there for more of a direct, we build a one-way relationship with Gwen and we can follow her through her career. And that's what's been so interesting to see like with Lionel Sanders is we're able to promote these videos and give it to an audience. And so it's like a one-way relationship. Everyone feels like they're there training with Lionel Sanders. They feel like they've been through the journey. They've been through the hustle. And that's what would be incredible to see him succeed is one day, like when he wins a race, does everyone feel like that they went through the heartache with him, that they went through his bad races with him, that they saw his training, that they feel like they were there with him. Mm-hmm. And then when he wins, it's like everyone wins. And so it's so funny to get on like these triathlon forums and see all these people that are like Lionel Sanders missionaries because they they truly feel like that Lionel Sanders is their friend. Like they feel like they know him. They see his sarcasm. They see his dry sense of humor. They see him training. They see him when he cries. And so they literally feel like, so when they meet him, they like freak out. But it's because he has opened a door and and really like a new realm of media and letting someone in. So that's why he has so many fans. That's why he has so many people on his side because they feel like that they're friends with him at, at the end of the day. Well, and what Lionel brings to the table is vulnerability. Yeah. He's really vulnerable. And that's what people 
are attracted to because whether they realize it or not, like we're all suffering to some degree. And so here he is saying, Hey, look, like you can look at me on my brand new bike and my super freshy gear and all that stuff. But like, I'm, I'm walking the gauntlet and I'm going to, and I'm going to open it up and show you guys like, you know, I go down the, I've got this, this addictive personality and I'm going to go down this road hundred percent until it's completely exhausted. And then I'm going to go down this other road and maybe I'm going to take some of those things. And it's almost like you're watching like a horror movie and I'm not saying it's a horror movie, but it kind of is like, yeah. and you're kind of covering your eyes like, Oh my God, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. Cause you know, if that person just took a left, then they wouldn't be running right into the killer. Right. But he kind of just runs right into it. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's its own kind of drama. Right. Yeah. But that's what people crave is like when we think about authenticity, right. And that's really a buzzword right now. That's authenticity is showing, showing your vulnerability. I think there's a big movement right now. It's kind of an underground movement, but this underground movement of men who are really learning to become vulnerable because I think men in these paradigms and these old outdated, you know, um, roles that they're supposed to play. I think a lot of them are just suffering in silence. And so I'm always the first one and I might piss some people off when I say this, I'm always the first one's like, who's got the guys back? Like who, mm -hmm. who's taking, who's, who's holding the space for the dudes? Like I want to hold the space for the guys mm -hmm. because there's so many women's only this and women's only that. And, and, you know, no men allowed. And it's like, we are pushing them further and further and further into this despair. And I think that's what Lionel's got just so magically. And I'm a hundred percent sure that wasn't his agenda. And that's what makes it so much more real and relatable is like, he's giving that voice to yeah. guys. Like you can be at the top of the top and you can cry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that that's where a lot of people can relate to Lionel is that no matter what your profession is, if it's if you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, if you're a, a farmer or you're just like whatever you do, a receptionist, it's like you all go through struggles. You all go through times where you're like, man, I just can't train because I, I just my body doesn't want to let me train or I'm just going through a tough time or all of this stuff. And I think that's where people can relate as Lionel really opens that window to you got to continue to push and we, we all go through hard times. I mean, everyone looked at him and, and he, he, half the people that are, that are really intelligent and really could like study the sport and all that. They're like, Oh, he's way overcooked for Kona. And then the other half people were like, Oh, he's going to win it. We've seen him do the training. Like we've never seen someone work this hard when ultimately every other professional triathlete out there is working just as hard. And, and they're doing, they're going through the same struggles that Lionel's going through. I mean, look at someone like Sebastian Keenley. He's, another incredible athlete, they all go through those times. It's just they don't make it public like he is doing. So he gets the most criticism, but he also gets the most praise. So it's like finding that balance. But that's where people can relate is they see Lionel Sanders struggle. They see him walking in Kona. They see him crying and they're like, wow, it's okay. To, it's okay to cry. It's okay to fail. It's okay to mess up. It's okay to get fired from your job it's okay to take a risk. And that's what Lionel did. He ended up going completely plant-based and like he took that risk and it was very dumb of him because it was one month from his world championship. Maybe if he would have done it maybe six to eight months prior, then he would have had everything figured out and his body would have been ready for it. But you can't make like a drastic change like that quick. And so it's like basically finding that medium of where what what works for you and balancing and then also doing it 
over time, not just like a uh, rational decision because you're just like, oh. So, but what's so cool about it is people can relate as they're like, wow, he took that risk and it, it empowers them to take that risk or, or go down that journey. And no matter what it is, some things that will probably hurt you, bite you in the butt right away. And some things that like, maybe that like the fact that Lionel took that risk this year will help him lead to an Ironman World Championship next year. Oh, so you yeah. can't 100%. do it until you make that leap. And the thing about Lionel is that, and we know this from training, right? So many, the athletes that, a lot of the athletes that come to us for training, it's like, we look at what they've been doing, it's like all gray zone. It's mm-hmm. all gray zone, right? Yeah. Nobody's moving. No extremes, no nobody's highs. Nobody's moving anywhere in the gray zone. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's no gray zone with Lionel in his in his brand, in his persona. So you're going to have the people that are like, oh, he's totally cooked, like the doubters. You're going to have the naysayers. And then you're going to have the people that are like, no way, he can do anything. He's going to get this. And that's what builds so much exciting drama. And uh, and then you're bridging that gap and you're able to get this out to the masses. And it's just, it's amazing. And I know that you... um, have pissed some people off. Can we talk a little bit about like when you first started to realize that you're are totally disrupting this comfortable recipe of race photographs and selling them in the way that that athletes do business? Yeah, for sure. I basically started <laughs> shooting just like any other business, like you're going to come in and you're going to disrupt. And, um, and I've never really spoke like publicly on it, so I don't want like anyone to get offended. But I mean, basically, any business you do or any like risk in life that you take, you're going to upset some people. And, and that's just ultimately where you got to listen to yourself, make sure you have good judgment and make sure that you're doing something right. Um, and, and maybe you might be upsetting people and you just got to continue doing what you're doing. Um, as long as it's not like harming others, um, physically. So basically I just, I started the realm and it all kind of goes back to using triathlon images. Um, in race day photos as that. So I would, let's say like I go to a race with Lionel Sanders and I just like capture a whole lot of photos. And I basically just built this algorithm in my head um, of, or not my head, like I wrote it all down of like, let's say we have a start list at Oceanside. So we have all these athletes racing and I have all of these contacts from everyone from A2 bikes to specialized bicycles to Boardman bicycles to Canyon bicycles. And it's really easy to look at a start list, see what all athletes are racing, and then you warn in advance all of the companies that are going to be at that race. And so basically what I've done is is I've shot the race. The second the race is over, I bounce out of there. I edit all the photos as fast as I can, and I upload them. So what that would do is, is that would give access to all of the sponsors to use the photos. And I sell my photos for $50 for social media use, everyone except my clients. So like Lionel Sanders sponsors can use photos of Lionel Sanders for free for social media use. So of course, when you get someone like Alistair Brownlee, who crosses the finish line at a race, okay, his, his company, they don't care what the photo is or who it's cut from or the angle of it, how incredible a photo of it is. They're so excited in that moment if they have access to an image, they want to grab that image and post it. So they want to be the first one. Because they want to be the first ones, yeah. and they're excited for it. Versus if I sat on images for three to four days, then it, it'd be just like you. Like if you cross the finish line into Iron Man, and I got an awesome picture of you, I'm like, hey, two hundred dollars at Iron Man World Championship, and you're like, oh my god, here you go, and you're going to give me the money for that image right away because you're so excited about it. And versus if you're three days later and you've already seen the finisher pics and you've already seen everyone's iPhone pictures and all that, and I'm like, hey, $200. And you're like, ah, mm-hmm. uh, 
Thank you so yeah, much. I really, yeah, yeah, I really appreciate it. <laughs> I, uh, this person sent me a photo that's a whole lot better. So it's not necessarily like, it's about hustle. It's about, and, that, and that's what life should be about. It should be about, if, if you're sitting there and you're a secretary and you want to move to a high level vice president position, if you just go clock in every day and you sit at your desk all day and you leave, you're never going to hit that vice president position. You have to continue to work, work, ask who you can help, ask what you can do. What else can I do? What else can I do? Is there anything I can do? Can I help you out on this project? I mean, you have to work for that position and that's where I've worked to do. It's upset a lot of people along the way, but a lot of the other photographers that are smart and that are knowledgeable have reached out and been like, dude, what are you doing? Like, how are you doing this? How are you doing this? How are your pictures being posted everywhere? Like incredible photographers. And I'm like, do this, do this. This is what I do. I upload my gallery right away because I'm, I'm here to like, I'm not here to upset people and make money. I'm here to grow the sport of triathlon because I'm so passionate for it. And so these other photographers that have reached out and then they have taught me how to use my freaking camera because I had no idea how to use my cameras. I picked up my first one three years ago and I have taught them how to launch a website, how to launch a media gallery, how to post on Instagram, how to use hashtags, how to build their own brand. And so if we could all work together, it's going to grow the sport. And so that that's basically where that all came from and, and it's continuing to grow. But not only that, there's other photographers out there that get a little upset about it, but it's like they need to learn to adapt. I'm sure the first ever, I'm sure Uber was not the first ever rideshare company. I'm sure there's a guy that failed and he was like, oh, Uber could have been mine. Well, it could have been <laughs> yours, but it's not because you didn't work hard enough for it. So, I mean, button up your britches and uh, start working a little bit harder. Well, like in like with Lionel, there's no gray area with you. So you either have your big supporters, right? Those mm -hmm. guys who are like, what are you doing, man? I want I, I need I want to learn from you, even though I've been in the business much longer than you. And then you've got the people who are scared. Yeah, right? and yeah. We talked about that. Like underneath all of that, they're just scared. They're just they're scared. They've got the resistance to change. It's like, oh, man, I, everything was going great. I was my company was finally starting to take off. Then this little jerk comes in and changes the, the game. And so the difference between those two polar opposites is the expert mind, right? Which is like, okay, I, I, I've got my recipe and, I'm, and it's successful and I'm going to stay right here because I'm really good at what I'm doing now. I'm really honing my skill. I'm an expert. People come to me to get the photos. And then you've got the beginner's mindset. So like really well-respected um, photographers that are going to you and saying, what can I learn from you? And you saying, hey, here it is. It's an open book. I'm not scared. I'm not paranoid. Yeah. I, there's enough to go around. So again, there's that abundance mindset. Yeah. And that's the beginner's mindset where you never stop learning. There's plenty to go around. Mm -hmm. And once we become an expert, we limit ourselves. And yeah. that's where I think the fear comes in. And I really think that those folks that are threatened by you, they're just scared. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we can just hold some really good energy around them that they won't live their life so scared because yeah. look at what you've done. I mean, you left a paycheck, you started this in, in a very short period of time, you've completely blown it up because you've been willing to do the hustle. Yeah. Yeah. You're willing to do the work. Exactly. And, and, and that's, that's the thing too, is that like, I understand like, of course I don't have like a lot of responsibilities or a kid or, or anything like that or a, a house bill or things like that, but I'll end up making enough money with where I could at the end of this year to pay for that stuff. And that's come from 
like I said, again, the fruits of my labor and the hard work and the exhausting hours of no sleep and all that. And it's basically, I'm not afraid to share all my secrets. And, and I actually plan to do that in a, like a YouTube series I'm going to do on my channel this winter during like the cool. offspring is give advice, help other people chase their dreams. Because I, I think that everyone deserves to be happy um, and love what they do. And so for a good example is like this, this last week, there was a Bahrain 70.3 and I was supposed to go to that as the Bahrain photographer or videographer slash photographer. And they ended up telling me, hey, never mind. We're not going to send anyone out there. And I was like, ah, oh, well, that's a bummer. I love going to cover that race. And then all of a sudden, I start seeing all these videos uploading on the Bahrain account. And I'm like, what in the world? I clicked on the guy. It was another guy I've never even heard of in my entire life producing videos that are way better than mine. And I'm like, <laughs> awesome. Like that is freaking awesome. Like it does nothing but inspire me to work harder. And I'm like, that's so cool that like I'm here now in return. Now I'm in Indian Wells producing content, videos, short clips of Lionel Sanders and someone is in Bahrain. Like I'm obviously doing something right because now they're continuing to do that without me because it, before they didn't do that. And so now there's another person stepped up to the plate. So the more people that step up in this industry and continue to push the game and create content and evolve, that's where it really helps out. And so that's like my plan is to help everyone. Because the bottom line is, is it comes down to work ethic. It doesn't matter if I show everyone how to take a picture. I give them all my tips and tricks and secrets and all that. One out of 100 people will do it and execute on it because the other 99 people are too lazy to do it. So it doesn't matter if I if I go out there and I do that. And not only that, there's so many freaking triathlons. There's so many professional athletes. There's so much work to be done. All my stuff is in North America. Like there's so many other sports. Like if you're that good of a photographer, then take your passion and what you're and go, and go go do like go do the same thing I'm doing like with a golf athlete. Or if you're away, if you're an incredible photographer and you can create content, then contact Gwen Jorgensen and be like, look, everything Talbot can do. I can do better. Look at my work. Let's do this. And that's awesome because that then I would be like, well, I lost that one. Looks like I need to work harder on my next one. And I'd go pick up another athlete. So it's like, it's more so the fact that like you, it's all about your work ethic and your passion for what you're doing. Because if you don't have passion for it, then you're not going to work hard for it. Yeah. So if you're sitting working a desk job or you're sitting doing a job, a lifeguard job or, or a, let's say you're a swim coach but you don't really like that and you want to go do something else then try to start working a small amount of hours doing that thing you love get a glimpse of it see if you love it and if you think you can financially afford it or you think you can make the leap then go for it because you'll never enjoy your doing until you go do something that you love but that but the fear is what paralyzes people the fear mm -hmm. of the unknown yeah yeah the fear the fear of like oh if i do work a few hours at this job where is it going to get me in a month from now yeah so they're always looking for that certainty yeah right so where does where does that where, where does your oh. like where does the drive like There's... you don't care about knowing what that next thing is like yeah. where did that start i think that that's what it all comes down to you have like this fuse. Michael Zimmerman, a uh, announcer in the Des Moines area, kind of described this to me. He said, did you ever feel like that you had like a fuse? And the fuse was your money. So like you started your year and that fuse starts like slowly burning and you're like, oh, it's okay because I'm going to be making a lot of money. And that fuse burns lower and lower and lower and lower. And then you get to the point, I mean, I was to the point where I was like almost, almost, I, I think I started last year with like $20,000 in my bank account. 
and that fuse is just getting lower and lower and lower and lower. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, where am I going to go? And I finally started getting like a little bit of credit card debt. And I'm like, crap. All it did to me was motivate me to work harder. Because when you know when you're, when you're running out of money, then you're like, all right, there's nothing more that can motivate you to work harder than when you're running out of money. And so like, I'm like, well, I can either sleep or I can, uh, I can get a lot of sleep and make no money, or I can work my freaking butt off and get these images out to all these sponsors and make a couple thousand dollars. So that's where I think it really came to fruition when I was just like, the harder I work, the more money I'm going to make that's going to be a return on investment, grow my own brand and do it like that. So I think it all comes down to like that fear is like you just have to outwork that fear. And, and if it comes down to a pivotal turning point in your life, then you just got to uh, push through it. I mean, that's what I did. I mean, I was really scared financially. I was like, man, how am I going to afford my life? How am I going to do this? Where am I going to sleep? And that's when you just got to start working your connections um, and not fear that next step, but just like kind of like live in that moment and be like, all right, I got a race coming up. If I really want to make money at this race, I need to look at the start list. I need to go to all those individual athletes' websites. I need to contact all their sponsors and be like, hey, 10 minutes out or two hours after the race finishes, I'm going to have a gallery here. Feel free to use whatever you want. It's $50 for social media images. And if you want to buy any other rights and contact me, send them the link and then get out to the freaking race and hustle. Get yeah, as many but, pictures as you can. But you're putting shoot, that shoot, out shoot. there. You're putting it out there without yeah. knowing that you're not putting it out there with the expectation that 20 people, you contact 20 people that you're going to get 20 people back. You're just putting it out there. Yeah. And, and then you're like moving on to the next thing. So you're yeah. keeping the momentum, the momentum going. Moving. Yeah. That, we're big on the momentum. Like and don't hit the break. Don't yeah. hit the break. Isn't it amazing yeah. how fast $20,000 can go? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, that was like when we finally landed here, I think we were looking at like $20,000 and boy, does that like start to go away and we got to the same point but that point that you got to and you're like where am I going to sleep how am I going to afford I can't even tell you how much like that just makes my blood turn cold because mm -hmm. we were there that's where 99% of the people walk yeah. away yeah and that's where everybody told us you have to keep going you yeah. have to keep going and we were like okay and there was a part of me that was like easy for you to say with your paycheck in your house like mm -hmm. we're about to lose it all in those moments when we had the gut check it was like we would just look at each other and say there is nothing else yeah there is nothing else we're supposed to do we are living our purpose we are living our passion we are living our love and our mission is to create a better world yeah. your mission if if i'm not misspeaking is to promote the sport of triathlon and grow mm -hmm. the sport, whether it's triathlon or whatever sport that you're engaging in is to grow it and to grow the awareness. And underneath that is a healthier lifestyle yeah. and being the fattest, unhealthiest, you know, country. I would think that we need that. Yeah. Right. Sure. We need that. We need people to be motivated to move. Yeah. Some people can't get off the couch. And some of those people are athletes who one week their training peaks is all green and for two weeks it's all red. Yeah. You know? And so it's, I think it's so important what you're doing, but I've been there and I find that every person that we talk to who has, you know, gone after their dreams and have the passion, it's like, that's your, that's your meal is yeah. the passion. And if you've got the, you know, if you've got the 
fire to keep going, oh my God, like yeah. it will catch up. It's yeah. a scientific equation. It has oh, to happen. It's it universal it law. Happen. But it's yeah. like, okay, when's it going to catch up? When's it going to catch, catch up? Good. When's it coming? Are you coming? And that's, that, that's something that I, I've told Rachel plenty of times. Money can buy you a lot of things. It can buy you temporarily happiness. Mm-hmm. It can buy you a nice house. But one thing money cannot buy you is time. And time is so valuable. And, and mm-hmm. the time, amount of time you have in a day is 24 hours. I mean, I wish there was 30 hours in a day. And so that's where your hard work comes into play. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure other people have done this, but I mean, I came out to Oceanside and I shot 70.3 Oceanside. I was, this is, I do not recommend to do this. <laughs> I shot 70.3 Oceanside. I got in my car. I drove directly after Lionel Cross the finish line. I got my interview, waited for Holly, got the pictures of Holly Lawrence finishing and left. I was editing in my car on the way to LAX in LA traffic boarded a plane, finished editing my photos on the plane, flying all the way to Houston, got in the car, drove to Houston. By that time, I think it was like 1.30 a.m. And then I looked at my phone for the first time and Rennie texted me. and was like, I'm wait, we're going to start at 4 a.m. We'll get up and go. So I hit upload of my photos for, for that race for Oceanside 70.3. So it wasn't that two-hour window. It was about eight hours later. And then I got about three hours of sleep, got up at 4 a.m., and I was in transition at uh, Texas 70.3 at 5 a.m. that morning. And people are like, wait, weren't you in Oceanside yesterday? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. It's, like, it's, it's kind of like, where's Waldo? Like, yeah, yeah. You're like, you pop up and it's like, oh my God, it's exactly. time again. But like, I wasn't even tired and I didn't yeah. even need caffeine and I don't need that because I love what's yeah. so much and it was like the momentum and that's what drives me. And, and a lot of like people that I work with or I try to bring photographers to like help me and they're like, sleeping in the car I'm like get up get up and it but it's not it's I can't even really say it to them because it's they don't have passion for it because they, they're incredible photographers and and they like shooting weddings and it's like I can't give them my passion I can inspire them I can yell at them to get up and maybe they need to sleep in that moment but it's like I know that I have passion for this because I live for it and, and that's what I do. And so you, you won't succeed or you won't get that momentum until you go make that leap of faith on something that you do love to do. So like if that's, if you're all in on running a 5K, then just get up off the freaking couch and go do it. I mean, sometimes, and don't think that there's doubt, that there's not doubt because like sometimes I think I'm like, okay, cool. I could, I could quit this and I could just go work for my dad and I could, I could make a steady $60,000 a year and I could live in a house in Oklahoma City and I could really enjoy my life and all that. I'm like, but there's so much more to life than that. There's so much more. I, I can make that leap of faith. I can, I can do this. I know I can turn this into a successful business. And last year when I only made a total of, I think, $12,000 last year, <laughs> then I was just like, oh, I don't know about this. But I know, I knew it was going to come around. I knew it was going to come around. And I will make 10 times the amount of money that this year. But it's like, finally, it's like the fruits of my labor. And, I, and it's because of the fact that I made that leap. I quit my job. I, I made that leap to go do that is, is how that momentum continued to grow. Hey, listen, we made less than $10,000 more than that last year, okay? <laughs> and that's for two of us who, you know, left that big fat paycheck. 
Yeah. Like we left those, like we had, co- we had a lot of commas mm-hmm. in our annual income. And then it went down to like, you know, oh my God, can we get a comma in yeah. our annual income? Can we please? go, yeah, can we go get groceries I'm just today? waiting for like the parentheses yeah. to like leave the tax, like the, the tax statement. But, but we wouldn't have it any other way. I would have it no other yeah. way. And when you we, talk about that story from Oceanside to Houston, like I'm containing my energy because I'm so freaking juiced right now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm so juiced up on your words yeah. and your passion. And that's, that's the life force, right? Like you don't Mm -hmm. need to eat or sleep. Yeah. You don't have to get caught up in that. You don't have to know, you don't have to know the how you don't have to, as long as you have the why, like why you're getting up, why you're doing this, all the people are going to continue to to question that. They're going to be like, Oh my God, you had no food or you didn't even go to the bathroom. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter that the energy and vibration of of just rides so high, Mm -hmm. so high people around you, and I'm sure you, you see this, they're just like, how is that possible? Because in themselves, they have it. It's always, it's in everybody. Yeah. It's in everybody. If they see it in you, like we see this drive in you, it's in us. Mm-hmm. So people see it. They just don't know how to tap into it. Yeah. And, and it's and it's hard. It's not easy at all. I'm not saying like no, the grind no. is easy in any way. I mean, there, there's times that I've just had to separate. I mean, let's, let's say like someone's going to eat at a nice restaurant and it's a client of yours or it's another professional triathlete and you have a business meeting with them. Mm-hmm. And, and you really, you can go there and you can spend a $60 on a meal or you can go run by 7-Eleven and grab some peanut butter and jelly and some bread and make about three peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, shove in your mouth before you walk into that meeting and you're full. So you're sitting there and like, you need to eat. And I'm like, oh no, I'm good. Because you didn't know if you're going to pay for that meal at that moment. And it's like being smart. And I'm like, and I've been in that situation. Like, I didn't even know if I was going to pay for that meal. So I'm just going to stuff myself with peanut butter and jelly, walk into a nice restaurant. And they're like, are you sure you don't eat? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And really, cause I couldn't afford the meal in that moment. Oh my God. And so it's like, you, you hit those moments that that's what motivates you and drive that you're like, talk to me in three years. Cause I'll, I'll pay for yours and my meal and your partner's meal. So it's like, there is hard times, but it's, it's, you got to understand that the, the fruit on the tree at the end of those hard times is what's going to be worth it. And so like, it's the same, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's like a satisfaction thing. When, when you start, if, if you've never ran in your entire life and you're listening to this podcast and you want to run a 5k, like download couch to 5k, start doing that. And then when you cross that line at a 5k, two things you go through your head dang this sucked i never want to do this again this was or or this was like incredible this is i i or it's like dang this sucked like this hurt but i accomplished it and it's the feeling of accomplishment that you get or dang that was incredible i want to do a 10k i want to do a half marathon i want to do a full marathon but it's like it's the fact that you downloaded the app and you started it and and that's what the 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 moment that you Mm -hmm. have to get to and then when it gets hard when, when you when you worked a 10 hour day and your kids are at home crying and you got to feed them. And then you finally get to bed at 11 p.m. and you got to be at work at 8. It's, it's setting that alarm for 5 o'clock when it goes off. Oh, I can sleep two more hours or I can get up and just go ahead and get my run in. And that's when you just have to be selfish and just get up and just go for that run and get back and, and then keep moving along again. And so it's like making that leap to do that. So it's glaringly obvious that you and Lionel are connected. <laughs> So clear. What, so I just, what I had a question was going back to when you first contacted him, like, did you feel a connection with him as an athlete or was it, was it something else? Like where, where did you find that connection with him? And, and how did did you use the same process where you weren't sure if he was going to reply at all? Like you're just putting it out there and see Um, like, 
hey, maybe Lionel's a good good pick, good good match. I think that where it first started was probably um, I had a good friend of mine that I was uh, going to like the races with, an ex girlfriend of mine who was still real good friends, Ellie Salthouse, and and I was traveling to a lot of races with her and she was racing and then Lionel was racing in the same races and so I was always like grabbing pictures and stuff and so I ended up I think just sending him a message on Instagram saying like here's some photos feel free to use them here's some photos and they started using them more and more and then we'd see each other at races and so I think that it was more the fact that like I'm not like the creepy photographer or the creepy person who's like hey I'm a massive fanboy but it's more of like containing that and like it's I can express my uh, I don't even know the word like fanism is that even a word <laughs> you know, the fact that I'm a, such a big Lionel fan or a Jan Ferdino fan or a Sebastian Keenly fan or Daniello or Marinda I can I can express that in capturing art of them and so I think it was like I can get Lionel's attention by the way that I take a cool picture of him and then not only that if I want Lionel to post my photo, I gotta get it to him right away. So like, there's so many times I'm like, take a picture of him at the finish line, and then I'm missing second place finish because I'm too busy editing that photo, posting it, or sending it to Iron Man Live for them to post, or sending it to his sponsors for him to post, or getting it right to Aaron, his wife, for them to post. And that, that was me, I was editing photos like on the go right there. I mean, I mean there was some picture, I, one time I was in a race, I think Sebastian Keenly, I was in Cosmel last year. I got like the coolest picture of him and he's like, he's like smiling or he stuck his tongue out or something on the side of a moto. And I, I don't even know why, but I, I was like, oh, this is such a cool photo. And I'm like driving 25 miles an hour behind him and I'm like editing this one. I'm like, oh, this is good. I posted on my Instagram and I said like, I love my job. And then I sent it to Sebastian as if like it even matters. Like he's in the middle of an Ironman at like mile 30 on a bike. And I'm like, haha, you're crazy. And I sent it to him, and then I'm just like back to shooting again. And it's like, it was, it was probably irrelevant to send it to him, but then he can finish, and he already has that photo. So like, and there's so many times like with athletes, like when they finish a race, I'll text them that photo, and it's the ease of use is that when they finally get to drug testing or they get done with the race, and they can open up their phone and they already have that photo, they're gonna post it, versus going to hunt down another photographer or wait till Tuesday when some of the other people post their photos, and it's like. It's instant gratification. It's, it's instant gratification, yeah. 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 So they don't they don't care about the angle or the shot or they're not gonna wait for that. Like it's the fact that it's right there in their hands. It's yeah. ease of use. I mean, and, and that's how we are as humans nowadays. I mean, we're so entitled to ease of use. If there's an app that's better, if there's a restaurant that's closer, there might be a coffee shop that's a bit further, but you just need that coffee and you just wanna go get it. And so that's kinda how we are. And so that's my job at the end of the day for these professional athletes is to make it to where they don't even have to think. They have to do so many other things. And so my job is to provide them with the images, use them as a billboard, send my pictures to Luke McKenzie and let him post them. Post them. And then one of his sponsors is like, we want to use this photo. Luke's like, all right, talk to Talbot Cox. So it's like, that's why I give the images to athletes because they post them. I use them as a billboard for their sponsors. And their sponsor's like, hey, can we buy this image? I'm like, Yep, here's my pricing, toppleglocks.com slash pricing. And didn't, <laughs> so. didn't Sebastian take a photo of you right back at the truck? Weren't you, was that in Kona? He was like, I think you took a photo of him, posted it, and then somebody took a photo of you in the truck editing, and, and I think your logo was on the back. I think oh, yeah, Sebastian. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think it was Sebastian, yeah. So it's so, so it's, many, the, a funny story I have is we were at Oceanside this year, and... Um, 
a lot of the uh, age group athletes, they love to watch the pros get ready, like in transition. And uh, I think Lionel, there was a lot of tension between like Lionel and Jan, and they're about to race. And I was so excited. And that's the thing is like, when I get out there on race day, like, of course, I love Lionel. Like, he's a great friend of mine. But I grew up like idolizing Jan. But not only that, there's so many other people on that start list. There's Tim Reed that could like upset people. It was Eric Lagersham's <laughs> first race. And I'm like, you guys understand, like, this ITU guy, he could surprise everyone. And it's like, I'm so neutral on race day. Like, I, because I don't cheer for any of them on race day. Like, and I, I don't like to give them splits or do anything. I just like to watch the race unfold. And I was so excited to watch Jan Lionel race because I knew I was in for an incredible race. And I'm like, I'm on the back of a moto. So I'm so excited because I get to provide images and stills and video and create a video out of it for everyone else to see like what I got to see unfold. And that's what makes me excited. Mm -hmm. But when we were in transition that morning, there was so much tension and everyone was watching them get ready. Now I'm like taking pictures and someone was like, are you Tom Cox? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, can I get a picture? And then like a quick line formed real quick to take pictures because of course they're there to watch <laughs> Lionel and Jan. But they don't want to ask him for pictures because they're like in race mode. So they're going to go to the next best thing? So I guess they're going to... And Jan turned around and he's like, what the heck? People are going to start showing up to the races to watch you take pictures. And it was just a really funny moment. I think Jan was just trying to break the tension in the air there. But it was uh, it was funny. And then Lionel laughed and they both just looked at each other and like shook their heads. So it was... It is it fun to funny. watch you. It is fun to watch you though. I think there, it was 70.3 Worlds or... I think it was 70.3 Worlds. You you had gotten off your bike and you got into the center of the, the road and you're like taking a photo. And then in the background of the video coverage, you see you hopping back on the bike and like sprinting down to get the next to get the next shot. So it, at least I picked up on that. But but it, you can see that you're just like, you're just after that next thing. Yeah. Like it's it's hustle to the very essence of being right there in, in every moment that you can capture. Yeah, and I think that that's how I'm able to, you have a bunch of photographers that are incredible incredible like my like wags if you follow him on uh, instagram he's like incredible uh someone like james mitchell is incredible and and the reason i point those two out is because they're both um extremely fit as well and so they like to work hard for their photos i've seen them run to get uh, shots and stuff and so i will get on I will go to the extent that I get on before every race I shoot um, and the races that I haven't done this on, then I don't get near as amount of the content that I want to. But I plan everything out before the race. So I open up the race map. Then also I go to Ironman.com. I go to road closures and I plan out my entire day. I'll get on uh, mapmyride.com and I'll be like, all right, from mile six to mile five is, or from mile five to mile six is like, of course, one mile but I'm gonna be traveling on my bike at like 16, 17 miles an hour. Can I make it these three blocks up and these four blocks over? Like I see that distance and make sure I can make it to them. So I'll basically plan out my entire day and then I'll, and then I'll mark it all in Photoshop where I need to go, like the street names and all that. So I can make sure that I'm there, but not only that, you have to calculate how to get the females as well. So where the female leader is gonna be at. So I'll look at the previous year's times, like let's say that at 10.05 is when the first male came off the bike last year. So assuming who the bikers are, they'll probably come off at the same time. And then at 10.35 is when the females come off. So 20 minutes later. So like I'll, I'll draw out a map to where I can get their dismount, get them at mile one, then get back to transition to get them again. And I think that's I'm able to capture so many stills. And the other photographers are 
I don't know. Uh, I'm lazy. <laughs> um, and since it matter, and 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 one thing I kind of learned too was, I went and watched Gwen Jorgensen at a uh, indoor uh, USA National Championship mm-hmm. on the track, and I'm like sprinting everywhere and getting shots and all that, and all these photographers are looking at me like, "What are you doing? Like you're an idiot." And it's like I was like timing it perfect to where I could get like. Let's say uh, Evan Yeager like at the steeplechase and Emma Coborn like at the steeple like hitting the steeple, and they've already they got like their two pictures there. Then they all just like walk and talk to the finish line, and I'm like, you guys must just be getting like two pictures of race. But I'm like just sprinting everywhere. So like at the steeple on the last or the second to last lap, like I'm the only one there, and I'm like this is a complete wide open shot. I can get anywhere I want, and I'm getting Emma Coborn leaping because she was and she doesn't go to the lead till the last lap. And so I'm able to get that shot, and then I sprint down to the finish line. And everyone's like, "What the heck are you doing?" And the second I got that, those photos, like I never even talked to Emma Coburn in my entire life, and I'm like, "I want her to post my freaking image. This is an awesome image." And I never talked to her, and so I'm just like, "Tweet her, tweet her the image. Hey Emma, here's the image. I sent her a message on Instagram, and, I, and then I post the image and tagged it. Then like ten minutes later, she like posted it. And as the ease of use that she already had it, and I'm sure." other photographers there got 10 times better shots but it's the fact that she had the image to post right and working hard right to get you're that all image about the hunt. like your race day is like a hits training oh <laughs> right? my race day like I just, it'd be better if i could eat but i don't even care because i i always forget to eat and i just like to uh yeah get in that mindset where i'm like sprinting so yeah. next year i was joking about this and i'm not like tooting a horn but like a lot of people stop are starting to like stop me on race day because they like want to say hi and stuff and so i was telling rachel i need to make like just like a camouflage t-shirt and just wear like all black or something and earn a ball cap so i can just like get around like as, as quick as i can so yeah i'll make some food for you for oceanside <laughs> yeah How's that'd that? be great that'd be great some, i'll make you a big bowl of we'll love have, we'll just we'll hold the bottles out the food out and yeah just come by and <laughs> exactly pick it up so it's funny sometimes uh this this happened i can't remember the athlete uh it's tim o'donnell and i knew that he had roctane in his bottle and we were in cans and uh he threw his bottle out and i picked it up and i was like oh there's some in here i just ended up drinking the rest <laughs> This will last until the afternoon. So we were in candy through his bottle. And I was like, well, I'll just give back this bottle. And I drank the rest of his Roctane. And then I just like kept go. going. I'm like, oh, Roctane will get me it. through. Yeah. You're running on the divine juice yeah, is yeah. what you're doing. I exactly. love it. So uh, I want to I just take it back like really, really far because I was reading your website. And I just love how you put in there that, well, first of all, you're one of eight siblings, which is like yeah. you have like a tribe. Mm-hmm. It's like a tribe. But you said that you have the most loving parents. Yeah. And so how did they foster you as a, in your development as a child? Did you have the, here's the track you're going to go on because you can work with your dad and you can make a lot of money? Or was it like, Talbot, you can do whatever you want. Like, yeah. believe in yourself. What, what was the fostering that you had at a young age? I think that they did an incredible job at loving each one of us as much as they could and then also letting us grow up as much as we could so like for example they they didn't buy us our first car like we had to buy our own my parents could easily have financially afforded to buy us our first car but they didn't do that like they made us work for that moment um my parents wouldn't pay for our college um that was just something that they didn't have their college paid for which probably back then it was probably like 200 dollars for college (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um, but like they wouldn't pay for our college, they wouldn't pay for our cars. We had to do that stuff. We were forced, not forced to get a job. But my dad's like, "Well, if you want to go out with your friends on Friday night, and you're in high school, 
I don't need to give you 20 bucks. Like, go get a job. Go, go, go do something. Um, and I think that no matter what we started, they would support us to it till the end. And I know, like, a fine example was wrestling. I, I wrestled all the way through um, junior high, elementary and junior high. And I got to a point in wrestling where I was like, I'm done, I'm done. I, I, I want to quit, I want to quit. And he's like, you're not quitting. Like, you started this, so you have to finish it. And so we're not going to support you to quit, and you're not allowed to quit. And so that was a very, I think, um, moment in life where he, they, and they told us that his dad taught him the same thing. I think all of his friends in high school joined a band and my dad's dad got him like a trombone. And so after week one of band, all of his friends quit. And my dad's dad, my grandpa was like, well, you're not quitting. You're going to stay in the band and you're going to play that trombone until the end of the year. The when trombone you're, band. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to play that until the end of the year. And, and I think that my parents did that same thing with us and they taught us that hard work um, ethic that we need to continue to work. And I've watched my dad work so hard in his position and then continual. And, th and there was some track meets that my dad couldn't come to because it's not like he didn't want to come to. He had eight other kids that he had to love. And it was like that fine line of like, mm -hmm. you can do this on your own. Mm -hmm. I believe in you. We're going to continue to support you. And if that was writing like a simple note to us to read before our race or because he was like, they, they did an incredible job at balancing out the amount of events they went to for each kid and all that. And in Grant there was never a moment where they miss someone's like they were always helping someone out. But I think that was a vital moment in our lives to teach us that. And what was so incredible even about it now is that my oldest brother is 30, my youngest sister is 17. And it's like, we love each other so much now. Like there is no tension in our family. Like when we get together for the holidays, like I cannot wait because I, I go to Kansas city right from here and I get to go home and it's like, we will all be together and it is just like literally a party. We have a group text and there's 18 people in it. And it's our family group and it just goes up all day long and I just like resort back to that. And it's like, they taught me so much of love, work effort and how to run a business and run a family and, and do all that. And so like I give it like point everything back to my parents that have like taught me that. A lot of things that I like post on Instagram too. I'm like, look, mom, I made it. I post that all the time and I like tag her name um, just because like it's always like a joke. And then it's my mom, like she understands triathlon, but not like to like a full certain extent. And so <laughs> I'll post up all the time and I'll be like in the finish line. I'll take like a selfie and I'll like post it and I'll be like, look, mom, I made it. And she's like, congrats, son. What race is that? And I'm like, oh, it's the Ironman World Championship. <laughs> pretty big deal she's like i'm so proud of you. you made it to that race so it's like that's just like how they are yeah they're incredible yeah that, that i mean that's why when you were loading up on 7-eleven p and j's that yeah. you just kept going yeah yeah and i think bj and i were raised bj was you were definitely raised with a heart with a really strong work ethic my dad's a marine so i kind of like grew up as a little marine mm -hmm. and um but also in a lot of love we both grew up mm -hmm. in a lot of love and support yeah, yeah and um and you know like when i wanted this like wraparound skirt from Butner's, mm -hmm. which was downtown. I wanted it said strawberries on. I wanted it so bad and I was crying. I wanted it so bad. And my parents were like, how are you going to get it? 
Yeah. Let's figure out, we'll help you figure out how to get it, get it. but you're going to go get it. So I got a paper route and the paper bag was so big that I got on the bike and I fell right off because I was like tiny, teeny. So my dad's like, okay, she can't obviously physically do this. So he would drive me around. And I remember mm. going to collect, do the collections at the end of the week. And I would get like a tip for $2 and I was like, would go right in my little envelope for my skirt at Butner's. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget that skirt. It was like a chain. It was like a a pivotal moment in my life. And when I got it and wrapped that thing around, put a big bow on it, like I didn't take that thing off. Yeah. Yeah. It was. And so that, that work ethic of like, look at what you can do. You can get creative. How am I going to get this? Or I'm going to get a paper route mm-hmm. and then you attain it. And, but you've but what happens between wanting it and attaining it is really what matters because once we attain it, we don't really desire it anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. But what you gain in that middle, which was what we would call mm-hmm. the journey, right. From the time that you, dream of doing an Ironman and crossing the finish line, it's what happens in between is the work. Yeah. That's yeah. the work exactly. in the middle. So yeah. I love that. All right. What's next for Talbot Cox Media? Um, I think that I'll finish up the year here, then I'm sure just get going on the next year. I kind of have like a five-year plan that uh, a person I watch a whole lot on this podcast stuff is Gary Vaynerchuk. Um he is uh, very vocal. He cusses a lot. So if you don't like that, then don't listen to him. <laughs> but uh, he has a thing called like Vaynerchuk Media. And yeah. um, they basically like run social media accounts or do social media mm-hmm. advice for companies and all that. And my goal is to basically start the same thing with my five-year plan, but in the sense of like professional athletes. Um, there's so many professional athletes out there. And um, so that's my goal to do that. Um, and so over the next probably five years, I plan to really broaden my expertise, uh, get a videographer to help me edit my videos, um, a good editor, and then continue to move into other sports as well. So I want to pick up like a CrossFit athlete probably next year or the next year, um, pick up a golfer, a, a NFL player, and really brand build, take everything I've learned from Lionel's channel, Tim and Rennie's and Gwen's channel, and launch into that and basically run social media accounts for professional athletes. Um, and then hopefully like in five years, I have 20 to 30 professional athletes that I run their social media accounts. And then not only do we can do, we can do that, we can, uh, collaborate and do and guinea pig off each other. Cause that was one thing I did a lot of, off of like Gwen's videos and Tim and Rennie's like, if you watch Gwen's video to the very end, it'll suggest two more videos mm-hmm. and it's another Gwen video or it's a Tim and Rennie video or it's a Lionel Sanders video. So I'm able to use Lionel's videos to get Tim and Rennie more views as well. And so I think when I can reach a broad, broad audience, I can do that. So that is my uh, five-year plan right now. And and I plan to be very, very vocal about that and very open um, just in case if anyone else like wants to copy it or do it because there's so many professional athletes out there. There's so many pictures to be taken. I plan to share basically almost every step and move that I make to where they can essentially do like the same thing because the more we can brand build in the sport of triathlon, and uh, come back to it and bring audience to it. So that's my goal is to, once I, I have so much love for triathlon, that's my whole goal too, is like when I move into CrossFit, I wanna find someone who has passion in CrossFit that understands how to interview an athlete to see like what they're going through. And I basically wanna give him all of my tips and tricks and have him work under me and me kind of just like advise the process. And so that's my goal is to get into that this next year. So it'll be a lot less, less working harder but working smarter because i feel like i've hit in that fine line as a business startup is 
I, I did all my base work, covered the ground I needed to cover, but now it's about working smarter to grow bigger. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that's, that's the five-year goal. Awesome. Awesome. And no triathlons yourself, no training, oh. no racing. Besides no. his race day workouts. Yeah, besides the hit workout. I but. think um, I'm, the dream is Kona one year. Um, I don't think he'll come in the next uh, few years. But uh, the dream is Kona. Uh, Clark is jumping up on the counter. Yeah. The dog. So he's, the making he he's like, he's like, this is the end of the show. Let's go, guys. <laughs> um, the dream is Kona, um, and I would love to do that. Uh, I think <laughs> maybe I'm gonna chat with my friend about it, Kyle Glass, back at home. But we might do the Dopey Challenge again, which is in Disney World, which mm-hmm. is yeah. a five k, ten k, half and full. So we'll see. But but whatever I do next, I would like to. Um, somehow and I, and this is still kind of just like a thought i want to involve others and so like i want them to be able to like do it with me and train with me so like i was thinking about doing something where we do like the dopey challenge tell a bunch of people to sign up and we could all like go experience it together and i could like video record it myself together so kind of kind of something like that or or worse this is kind of just involves other people and this is cues back to your question for next year we do want to do like some type of like triathlon camps so like let's say like Tim and Rennie like in Cozumel and basically have them come out. It's like four or five days train mm-hmm. with Tim and Rennie. But it's not only there a lot of people have like these camps and it's the experiences, but we really want to create a bunch of content and media out of it to where people like won't forget it. Because I've shot like a lot of our family vacations that we've gone on. There's so many of us and I make videos at them. They're on my YouTube channel. You can go see it. And it's like <laughs> we can go and relive those moments. I mean a lot of these people go to these camps and it's like of course, Rennie's going to correct your run form and you're going to do that like whippity dude all day. But it's it's the experience mm-hmm. that if you had that video, you could publicly access like right away and send all your friends. You're like, wow, that was a very cool moment in my life. So we do want to do some camps next year where people can come and visit and train and all that. So. I love it, dude. I love what you're doing. You're capturing experience, you know, and when we look at this life, it's just a series of moments. Yeah. And so many people are missing those moments mm-hmm. and you're giving us a chance to not only, you know, look deeper at our own experience, but the experience of the ones that, you know, that we look up to and that we inspire to be and realizing that within all the fanfare, they're just like us Yeah. and they, and they suffer and they get sleep deprivation deprivation and they've got to hustle and all of that but like you know we're just here to pass through experiences and I love that you've created that into your profession it's so beautiful well, thank you very much thanks for having me yeah thanks yeah, for coming thank you. awesome are you fired up to hustle yourself to a passion-fueled life I can speak from experience when I say that it is a hustle And it's worth every single moment because I would and many nights we have traded sleep for Yogi Triathlete. We have gone many hours without food because we're in the midst of a high vibe interaction with someone in this amazing community. I know what it's like not to know how you're going to pay for a meal and you do it anyway because there is nothing more powerful than knowing that you are living your purpose. And I will hold true to my offer to keep this disruptor fed during Ironman Oceanside. So watch out, Talbot. High vibe food is coming your way this April. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. I think Talbot has a really powerful message. So please share this podcast across all your social channels. Check out the show notes for ways to connect with Talbot. Pledge your support on Patreon to help us keep this podcast going. And for all other links to connect with Talbot's elite list of athlete royalty. If this is your first time listening to the YTP, please check us out at yogitriathlete.com. We have a team of high-vibe athletes, ultra runners, triathletes, marathoners, and several with their eyes on Kona. 
If you are looking to open up the pathways to your greatest potential, then join Team Yogi Triathlete. If you are looking to fulfill those New Year's resolutions, then check out M21 Revolution, which is an online mindfulness and meditation community of like-minded change makers. I would say the majority of people in M21 are triathletes and ultra runners. In other words, the people that you are out there competing with. And since we all know that race day is 90% mental... I'd say the M21ers have the podium cornered. If you can't beat them, which you won't, you may as well join them. All right, you guys, we are not on this earth to go through the motions. We are here to grow and evolve into our highest and best. And that requires us to navigate the peaks and valleys while not being simply a passenger on the roller coaster of life. We are here to get to the other side of what limits us. It's all found in a well-trained mind. And so I ask you, Who's in charge, you or your thoughts?